Hi, everyone. Okay, this is Audra here. And today I'm with Amanda, who is our beautiful teacher, um, both online and then in person. Hi, Amanda. Hi, Audra. <laughs> How are you? I'm doing pretty good. Yeah. Where mm-hmm. are you right now? It looks like you're in your room. Is that true? Is this your room? No, this is, uh, well, technically it is my, um, you could say it is my yoga space. It's technically our guest bedroom. Um, ah. yes, but it is basically my yoga space. It's, it's where I put you on a little footstool <laughs> when I do your classes online. Um, yeah. <laughs> I've got my oh, blocks, that. <laughs> my straps, like my my props over here, as well as a few um, few good books. Nice. Yeah. <laughs> Did you see that uh, like cartoon that I put up about the emotional pile of my the emotional pile of unread books, like yes. that you have just for emotional? Mm-hmm. <laughs> yes. Uh, that's basically our coffee table. Every once in a while, Christian, my husband, um, is like, can we like maybe get rid of, like just move some of these books? And I'm like, no, they need, like uh, we have, I think there are six stacks around the coffee table. There's a plant in the middle and then six stacks of books around it. That is just like anything from like Eckhart Tolle, Mark Nepo, Brene Brown's full stack is there. She's just one stack on her own. Um, yeah, it's, and they're all just like, yeah, I, that resonated a lot. Needless. Uh (laughs) Totally. Okay. Um, so tell, let's begin. I think that what helps us students to be able to get you to know you better is to begin at the beginning. Like, tell me where you come from, what your life was like. Was there any sort of like, you know, let's just start begin at the beginning. Begin at the beginning. Well, I was born in St. Louis, Missouri, family of five. I was the uh, accident, I mean, youngest by (laughs) 10 and eight years. Um, That is a joke with my mother. She, I, you know, once I got older, was like, oh, yeah, like I probably was a mistake. Like my brother and sister, 10 and eight years older than me. Mm -hmm. Um, And then suddenly I happened. And then once I got old enough to realize what pregnancy was, how it, how it worked, you know, like nine months, I counted back nine months for my birthday and it just so happens to be my parents' anniversary. So, I mean, yeah, (laughs) but my mother swears up and down on the Bible that I was not a mistake. She says they meant to have four. They just skipped the third one. Oh, that's (laughs) (laughs) so, yeah, I am the baby of the family. Uh, and grew up in the Midwest, in the suburbs of St. Louis, um, pretty in the same house, like your whole life. Uh, no, actually talk about a traumatizing event for a nine-year-old. I had to move neighborhoods, um, which was really like maybe 15 minutes away, but (laughs) it was, we were, I was very in love with our home. We had like a nice backyard that was like my wonderland. Um, and then at nine years old, we moved to uh, some other part of the suburbs, you know, which was nicer. My parents had more money. And so they wanted a bigger house and nicer neighborhood. Um, <clears throat> I think also secretly wanted me, 
wanted to get me into like a different school system Mm -hmm. from my brother and sister um, and what, what they had gone through. And then, yeah. So at nine years old, we moved and then I being a relatively shy kid who always felt like an outsider of my peer group. Like I just always felt like a black sheep in my family Mm. and in my peer group. So I really did not want to have to like make new friends. Um, Mm. So I grew up in St. Louis, but in the same County even, but two different, um, two different homes. Got it. Okay. And your parents were doing the like, working to make more money to live the American dream provide for you. That was sort of like, it was like a, um, that sort of that westward expansionism value system. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Except, well, my mom was a stay at home mom and then my dad was the one working. So Mm -hmm. it was was that traditional style. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Um, So yeah, I grew up pretty, um, pretty sheltered, but also very close to my parents. Like I never had a babysitter because my mom was just home all the time. And my dad was actually in sales, which meant he worked mostly from home. And by the time I came along, you know, like he was, um, my parents were like well into their thirties as I was growing up. And my mom had me when she was 32. Uh, My dad would, would have been 34. Mm -hmm. And you know, so they were like, well into, or my dad was well into his career, and had just like, more time and space. Um, And so I was around my parents a lot. And like, never had a babysitter, which that is so interesting, because you're Gen X, like me or on like, the tail end of it, right? Yeah, so I was born in 1980. Christian, my husband again, was born in 79. So he likes to joke that like, I'm the millennial and he's the Gen Xer, but I grew up with two Gen Xers, like my brother and sister. So my musical influence is very much Gen X. (laughs) No, I would say that you're definitely, my brother was born in 1980. I was born in 1978, but like that Gen X thing of having been like the latchkey kid, which is sort of a staple Mm -hmm. Is that mm-hmm. you didn't really have that experience then yeah. so much. Yeah. Oh, that's yeah. so interesting. But all my friends did, right? I mean, I still had the freedom, you know, of being the latch. I would go over to their houses, you know. When there was no was, parents. Yeah, though. when there was no parents <laughs> around. And we would eat graham crackers and marshmallow fluff. And it was yeah. great. And then I would go home and be like, mom, why don't you buy marshmallow fluff? Like, do you have any idea how good this is? So. Yeah. And I used to love, I used to like ask my mom why she didn't give me Lunchables. And she was like, uh, because I, I'm, I stay at home and I make your lunch for you to, for you to take to school. And I was like, yeah, yeah but they're good. I like that. <laughs> it was like the most processed food ever known to yeah. humans. Yeah. Uh-huh. Uh, I don't even yeah. know if they even make those anymore. That's hilarious. <laughs> I think they do. Um. Okay. So you with your parents a lot and yet Mm -hmm. still felt this kind of lack of belonging. I heard you say, Oh yeah. Um, I was very, I grew up being very like attached to my parents. Like they were my, they were like my safety and they were like wonderfully kind and supportive parents. 
but also sheltering <laughs> in a way, which was something I didn't um, realize until moving away to go to college, you know, getting older. But yeah, when I was younger, um, you know, my my dad was my friend and like he was the one I was like playing with, you know, versus like, you know, neighborhood kids who would like, we would play, you know, gosh, what is it? The like happy, happy hippo and card games. And, you know, he would let me win. And yeah. And then, you know, I would be in the basement while my dad was, my dad was very much a, a maker of who's he's a incredibly intelligent human. Um, and, you know, he built our entire, when we moved into our second house, he huh. finished our entire basement himself, built the, the fireplace. And like, I think the only thing he didn't do was like, um, a good bit of the drywalling because you can't really do that by yourself. Uh -huh. Um, and so he was always in the basement, like making stained glass and he had, you know, like all kinds of making hobbies. Um, and then I would just be in the basement with him, but like, you know, like coloring or, you know, like playing dress up with like my mom's old bridesmaids dresses. And so, yeah, Aww. I spent a lot of time actually hanging out with my parents. <laughs> That's so interesting. Okay. So your dad was an artist essentially. Yeah. Yeah. He would never classify themselves that way. And I don't think I ever did. I, I think I always refer to them as like makers, but they were very, and my mom's the same way. They were very much DIYers before that was like okay. a thing. Um, oh, so it was like, why pay somebody to do something for you when you can just do it yourself, you know? Yeah. And willing to like learn and do the things that way. What mm -hmm. was your dad's work in the world? What did he do for work? Um, he sold office supplies. For oh, a company oh, that called, was for the salesman. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. For a company called Smead. So um, I also grew up, a lot of my toys were office supplies, like um, <laughs> notepads. So like all of the like type A organizing personalities out there really going to be jealous of my childhood because I had like a plethora of pens and notepads and fancy folders. Um yeah, that I would actually play with. And I would just like, oh before my I could God. even write, I would just like scribble on notepads, like over, like just pages. It's just like scribbling. <laughs> well, and I feel like in the 1980s with like the only Barbie that my mom would allow me to have um, was the, do you remember it was like um, lawyer Barbie or like business oh. Barbie or something? And I'm not she familiar had, with her. She had these big 1980s shoulder pad wings and yes. wore this like oh. pink power suit. And that Classic. was the only Barbie that I was allowed to have. But there was sort of this like idealization of like business and like women could be in business. <laughs> and so I remember having this obsession with office supplies where like, remember like the Lisa Frank stuff where it yes. was like the stuff. Yes. Like I was like, oh my gosh, this is, the epitome of having made it. Like if I could yeah. have had, mm -hmm. I would, we were not allowed to very often, but just like the Lisa Frank notepad and the little stapler. The and, mm -hmm. Yes, totally. <laughs> All of that kind of organizing stuff. It was like, for some reason, like idealized during that time as being yeah. like the thing to have. Mm -hmm. um, that's so interesting. Did you all have a spiritual background in your family? Oh, wow. Um, now you've really opened a can of worms, Audra. Uh, <laughs> Just Krista so tipping it up over here. <laughs> yeah. So I grew up um, in a Catholic 
conservative mm-hmm. household for sure. Um, I, it was, it, it was, a. I wouldn't say that it was like full on Irish Catholic, but it was certainly like the derivative of, um, and it was mostly from my, my mom's, I think, pressure of wanting, uh, all of her kids to like go to church and like, you know, like we're Catholic and like, this is important. And like, it makes you a good human. Um, whereas my dad, I think was a little bit more lax about it and was like, Oh, okay. Like, we'll do this for the kids kind of a thing. Um, and so I like to say that I was born baptized and confirmed Catholic against my will. Um, Mm. because from a very young age, um, and I wouldn't say that I ever called it or considered it spirituality. Um, because even at a very young age, um, I noticed kind of like everything that was its hypocrisy. Um, you know, I just remember really not enjoying it. Like even at five and six years old and being like, why do we have to go? Like we just sit in a, in a room and like this angry old guy yells at us the whole time. Like, why are we going? And my mom would just be like, Oh, just, it's just the way it goes. You know, like it's that, that is just what we do. And I was just like, uh, I don't get it though, <laughs> you know? And so, um, I always really struggled with that because I don't, it doesn't feel like it was spirituality being modeled. It felt like it was rules and obligation and guilt that was being modeled. And what did that look like? Did you all go to mass once a week? Yes. Twice yeah. a week. Yeah. Every Saturday. So we went instead of going on Sundays for some Sunday, reason, I don't know why. Saturday at six. <laughs> yes. Saturday uh-huh. at 6 p.m. And then afterwards uh-huh. we went out to eat. We went out to dinner. And so I loved that part. Um, I liked the fact that, you know, I got to go out to eat with my family every Saturday evening. And of course, again, because my brother and sister were 10 and 8 years older than me, um, when I was six and seven, it means that they were like. 15 and 16 and 17. So by then they were unruly teenagers who were like, yeah, no, we're not going to that (laughs) on a Saturday night. Totally. (laughs) Exactly. And so they didn't have to go. And so it was mostly me again, alone with my parents at church and then going out to eat with them. Um, yeah. And then I also, yeah, right about, um, first grade, my mom put me in what's called, uh, what, or what was called for us PSR, the parish school of religion, which uh-huh. is basically the same as kind of like Sunday school. Um, yeah. and I had to go every Monday night after school for like an hour. Well, to me, it felt like it was like five hours long, but you know, that's how time is when you're a child. <laughs> it was probably mm-hmm. like an hour or something. Um, yeah. And then they just teach you all the weird stories about religion and in Catholicism, mm-hmm. um, you know, how like Noah had this boat where he gathered, um, you know, two of every animal and, and put them on there. And I was just like, I don't get it. That doesn't, I don't understand how that can, how do they all fit? How, they just, they just came to him. Like, how do you, how do you gather two lions and like put them on a boat with like two giraffes and yeah. Oh my gosh. I bet you were real popular. <laughs> oh yeah. 
and were and they trying like, to teach it as metaphor or as reality? Like, were you with the kind of church who was teaching it as like, this is what happened? Like yes. creationist myth kind of style? Yes. Okay. Yes. Okay. Like, this is what happened. Literally, like, it's the Bible because it's in the Bible and you should treat it as such. Like, this is truth. Um, yeah. And that's the thing I had a hard part, a hard time with, which now as an adult, obviously I see it as like, oh, like all of these stories are metaphors, you know, for life that, you know, for us to like learn from. But um, yeah, I really struggled with that. Mm-hmm. Like somebody trying to tell me something is truth and like, n- like knowing even at a young age in my heart that like, no, that's not true. Like, I, I don't believe that, you know, I don't believe that to be true. Um, yeah, I've always had a very strong inner rebel. And, <laughs> and what did that look like in your family? It was just your mom saying, was there, was there the capacity for you all to have discussion about it? Or it no, was like, this is the way it really. is. Really? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because as I got older, as I got to be like, so I remember oh, just like so vividly, I remember sitting you know, it was in our second house. So I was probably like 10 year, 10 or 11 years old at this time. Um, and the way that my mom actually kept me going, because every Monday night, I obviously had a stomach ache and was like, I don't feel good. <laughs> I can't obviously, go to PSR. <laughs> as one does, right? As one yes. does. <laughs> my mom's like, oh, it's just because you don't want to go. And I'm like, yeah, it is. Yeah. Um, so uh, the way she kept me in there was I was, I also, I was a very active child. Um, and I was on a soccer team through the church. And so she was like, well, you, the only way you can play soccer is if you go to PSR or you go to the Catholic school. And I was like, there's no way in hell you're sending me to Catholic school. So, okay, fine. I'll do this because I really want to play soccer. Um, And so that's kind of what kept me in it. But then once I got to be about, yeah, like 11 or 12. This transactional relationship with God. It's like, if you do Mm -hmm. this, then you get this. Yes, absolutely. (laughs) Good setup. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And realizing like right about that time, there were a couple of girls who joined the soccer team that did not go to PSR and who also weren't in the Catholic school. And so then I started asking a lot more questions about it. And, um, and I remember actually telling my mom, I was like, I don't believe in God. And she was like, what? And I was like, I just, I don't think that all of these things that they're teaching us, like none of this sounds like, you know, at the time I didn't have the right language, but like, none of this sounds like um, it all sounds like shaming. Like, why is, why is everything meant to make you feel worse? Like it just, I don't go into that space and feel a sense of love and protection or compassion or guidance of any kind. It's just like you walk into that space and I feel like I'm immediately shamed for like, being a sinner, like I'm just automatically cursed as a human, because that's kind of what Catholicism teaches you is that like, you are you're human. So you're a sinner done, especially um, as a woman too. And yes. And you have to spend mm-hmm. your entire life repenting, basically. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was just like, I don't like that just doesn't feel 
good to me. And I don't, I don't, so I don't believe, and this was the only thing. I mean, this is what I mean by saying like I was sheltered. This was the only thing that I knew of. Because I was like, uh, this is just all religion. Yeah. yeah. And that like, oh, so like everybody is Catholic. And like, well, I knew that there were other Christian religions, right? But like, I knew nothing uh, that there was even such a thing as Buddhism or yoga or like none of this stuff had ever even occurred to me um, because it just wasn't, I wasn't around it. I didn't know. Um, and so I really only knew Christianity and that there were like these different kind of sects, this different sects of Christianity. Right. And they all believed like slightly different things, but like overall, um, you know, believed in Jesus Christ and, um, followed similar dogma, you can say. Mm -hmm. Um, so yeah, I just was very resistant to it. Um, and I remember when I was challenging my mom, like having this particular conversation, like sitting at the bar stool and the like Island in the kitchen. And my dad just like, was kind of smirking and smiling and like, almost like proud of me, like, yeah, that a girl way to, way to challenge the the system and like, like think for yourself kind of a thing. Um, and also like, you know, my dad, I, I get my sense of humor from my dad. He has a very like dry, you know, sarcastic sense of humor. So, um, I think he, went along with it. Cause like, as a, as a married couple, you're like, oh yes. Okay. Like th- this will be my compromise. But he was never somebody that was like really believed in, I think what the Catholic church was teaching and, and preaching about. Um, mm-hmm. Both of my parents did go to Catholic school their entire lives. So, oh. And so my mom, I think felt this obligation to it. And then my dad was kind of like, yeah, no, I'm, I'm good. Like I had that all my life. And, um, so when so, you, yeah. how, when did you come to yoga? And mm. I mean, like, you know what I mean? Because then you have this like very protected, <laughs> yeah, like space that your mm-hmm. parents created for you without really any tendrils out into the world. So it, yes. I, I don't know. I know when I found that there was this feeling of like, oh, this is putting language to things that I intuitively knew to be true inside of myself. (sighs) Yes. Mm -hmm. And I can tell you that um, that feeling happened for me the first time I ever went to one of your classes. Um, Yes. And so the, and that was because I was interested in the teacher training. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I've, So, however, my introduction to yoga was, that wasn't my first introduction to yoga per se. Um, So the, I guess the real glass shattering for me was um, when I went off to college when I was 18. Um, At that point, I was old enough that I knew I was starting to realize watching my brother and sister, I was like, okay, I like, I have to go to college. I have to get out of the house. I need I want to experience the world. Um, And so I knew it was something I had to do. And so I did it. I went off to state school by like, and barely by a thread. (laughs) And your brother and sister were still at home. They were at home. Yeah. So they were just going to community college and working jobs. Like my sister had a few different part-time jobs as did my brother. 
And you were um, like, I have to get the F out of here. Yes. yes. And you barely, it, what do you mean by like by a thread that, oh, well, like for the, I didn't, I, I didn't even want to take, take the SATs school. I was not good at school. Um, uh, uh, and so I really struggled with test taking and, um, just the, that whole learning environment was just not my thing. So I, when it came to going to college, I knew I had to go. And so I was like terrified of taking the SATs. Um, and you could also take the ACTs, which was like slightly less intense. Uh, and so I took that option and then you had to get an 18 in order to be like accepted into state school. And I got a 19. Boom. Freaking so did it. That's what I mean by barely. And I actually think I had to take it twice. Yeah. So I'm just yeah. thinking like, as we're talking how everything in your being, like your soul's desire to grow is like this box right here that has mm-hmm. been presented to me doesn't mm-hmm. seem to like fit on my oh. body. Yes. Mm-hmm. A thousand percent. And I think that's what, yeah. Thank you for saying that because I think that's what I mean when I say that I always felt like the black sheep um, of my family, even in my peer groups, like being in St. Louis, Missouri, it was just like, um, yeah, I think the way you just put it so eloquently was that like, I felt trapped in this box and my soul knew that that was not where I belonged. Um, And I think I somehow just, and this is something that always perplexes me when I think back, it was like, how did I know, you know, like, how did I know to listen? Not only how did I know, right? I mean, I know how now being somebody who has um, studied that, that intuition and is so fascinated by it, right? Um, that can lead us. I, I know where that knowing comes from. But then like at such a young age, I'm like, wow, but like, what made me listen to it? Like what made me drown out everyone around me and be like, nope, this is what I want. Like, this is what I need to do. What do you think it was? I still to this day have no answer. I don't Mm. know if it's just like, cause I'm like, it must've been born into me because there's not much in my my family, like I've, my parents have always just said, well, I got my stubbornness from my parents. I guess I did learn that one. Both sides. Um, (laughs) yeah. (laughs) Um, but I also just, I think always had the natural confidence, I guess, to know what I wanted and to like, Mm. know, like how to get there, or at least be like, this is what I want. And I'm going to like, try to get there. Um, that's so interesting because I, I find working with so many people over the years that, um, it is rare, that is rare and beautiful. And that most of us at some point were told that that intuition was wrong and bad. And that at, in our like thirties, when we get to therapy and yoga or whatever mm-hmm. happens, yep. that we then have to relearn how to even hear that, like one small quiet voice, that whisper inside of us, yeah. you know, yeah, 
that is that inner wisdom that is trying to rise that are our souls like yearning to grow. Yeah. And so there's something there. I think it's just a rare and beautiful thing that you've had that inner voice that you've been listening your whole life. I mean, that's like a huge, big deal. Hmm. Well, when you say it like that, I guess it is. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) it is. It is because I think like, um, when we're entrenched in those kinds of systems that demand our, um, like sort of resignation, it's like, you're going to need to retire your intuition and do what we say. Right. That it is that's very, very difficult to resist because in order to belong, we need to do what the system says we need to do in order to belong. And so to have in order to survive. Yeah. Yes. And in order to survive, (laughs) because surviving and belonging are in like they're intrinsically linked. And so any sort of like, I don't know, I think it's very rare. And I wonder if it's your that little smirk of your dad was like just enough of a crack. You know, mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. To be like, maybe. yeah, it, you know, that's a good point because it is a very, um, I, and I would say that my dad, my compassion, I think, and my, um, I think a lot of what I am, I, I, or a good portion of what I am and it has gotten me this far, I learned from my father. Um, he was definitely. I think he tried to instill that, like, it doesn't matter what other people think, you know, like Mm. when we were getting bullied and he's like, they're just trying to get a rise out of you. Like, don't let them see you react, you know, like, because if you, and ignore them, like if somebody's poking fun at you, just ignore them. He's like, or the worst thing you can do is look at them and smile. And he's like, just watch. (laughs) And so I remember these stories from like, you know, my, both me and my sister coming home and be like, oh my God, dad, I did it. They freaked out. And like, I just looked at them and smiled. And then either, I remember my sister telling a story of like, you know, somebody's being like a jerk, you know, they're like waiting in a drive through or something. And like, some guy was like honking, like from behind her being like, you know, like hurry up. And she just turned around and like smiled and waved. And then the guy was like, uh, uh, okay. And then like waved back, but like stopped being like, you know, <laughs> a jerk. Um, anyway, so I, I think that was, I think for me that just sunk in. Um, and I think I learned how to rely or just know, or have that, have that perception of like, Oh, other people act that way because of them, not because of me. Well, yeah, you didn't abandon yourself. Yeah. Well, I mean, I did when I was younger. It's like a process of, you know, learning and failing and learning and failing. (laughs) Yeah. Being like, oh, like I want to take my dad's advice. But at the same time, I just want to cry because this person's being really mean to me. And like, so I'm just going to cry and be like, why are you doing this? Yeah. Um, But yeah kind of building that over time. And then I realized um, I'm going to come back to the yoga story now. Yeah. Uh, well, this is, I, yeah, <laughs> I tend to ramble. Um, so my earth shattering glass shattering happened going off to college, having that separation from my parents, which was the first time in my life I had ever been separated from them and had to learn how to do all these things on my own. Um, and 
I ended up, I'll, I'll fast forward a little bit. You know, I, I ended up switching schools and moving to Chicago uh, because I decided I wanted to be in fashion design, which meant I needed a better school. Um, so I went to art school and then that actually led me to move out to LA. And mm-hmm. it was in LA that I was, you're just going to laugh at this whole story, I feel like, um, at a 24 hour fitness. And there was this, like, I was super into their turbo kickboxing class. Um, yeah, you were. <laughs> and their Zumba classes because, like, uh, I have a lot of energy. And so I liked those, like, high intensity type of, like, exercise workouts. And I really enjoyed, like, group classes too. Uh, and then there was, I also started to get into Pilates and it was mostly because I really liked the teacher and I thought it was fascinating that she was like, Oh, like you don't even need weights. Like you can just like have your own body be this like vehicle for like exercising and becoming stronger. Um, and I just thought that was like really cool. And then she kept mentioning this like yoga class, um, and this particular yoga teacher. And so there was a point where she stopped teaching this Pilates class at this like particular time that I could go to. Uh, and they replaced it with a yoga class. And so I was like, all right, fine. I'll like go to the yoga class. And at first I was just like, what? And the the teacher was a guy and he was, he was very sweet and very kind, but it was, it was more the kind of yoga or maybe I just wasn't, I can't remember if I just wasn't picking up on the spiritual side of it. Or if like he was just, you know, like kind of lessening that because he was teaching in a 24-hour fitness, from, right? Well, from what I understand, actually, that if you teach a 24-hour fitness, you're not allowed to talk about the philosophy. Mm, well, then that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Um, but, and so that's where I started. You could say I began the learning the the poses of yoga right I wouldn't say that I was like full-on doing yoga in its um entirety right and all of the um but that was my introduction to it was 24-hour fitness um and then I was I enjoyed it and I was like oh like this is this it was different um and I like trying new things and so I was doing that class for a while. And then I actually moved from Huntington beach up into El Segundo and, uh, in LA and they were just opening, um, a yoga works. And it was like, Mm. you know, like this was like the beginning of yoga works and they were opening all these huge studios. And so I was like, Oh, I'm just going to go get a membership there. Like I'm kind of over 24 hour fitness and like, you know, I want something new. And so I became a member at yoga works and that was where I was like, whoa, like, <laughs> wait, what? Um, and so that's definitely where I, I became a little more introduced to the spiritual side of yoga. Like they took Shavasana very seriously there. Um, <gasps> oh my gosh, that's yeah. wonderful. It was Maddie, and right? It, Maddie Ezarek and um, who else taught there? Uh, in El Segundo? Oh gosh, yeah. I cannot even remember their names. I just remember their faces. Okay. Um, and there was one there were a couple of particular teachers and I was just taking the, their vinyasa style classes. Um, and there was one, uh, male teacher and he would play the ukulele and sing to us in Shavasana. 
And it was just like the best thing ever. And um, that was really sweet. And then there was one um, woman whose classes I went to all the time and she was just like really good at adjustments. Um, and she would, you know, come by in Shavasana and like do the, the, you know, cranial massage and like adjust your neck. And, Mm. um, but then also, you know, it was like the adjustments and the poses. And I was like, Oh, this is like, um, it was, it was when I realized, you know, like yoga was more than just like poses, right. You know, cause 24 hour fitness, it's more of like, Oh, this is like an exercise you do. Uh Um, and I, I was like, wow, that's like, that's so cool. Um, and then, you know, eventually I kind of, um, like life happens. Right. And then I ended up going to graduate school. So I had been working at, um, Quicksilver that whole time living in LA. And then, uh, I decided to go to graduate school and moved up to Portland. Um, and actually, and I was working at, uh, Adidas for a while, uh, after graduate school. And so I, I wasn't really doing a lot of yoga in between there. I would like take classes off and on every once in a while. And then, um, I was working at Adidas and things got really bad. Um, Mm. like it was definitely one of the lowest lows of my life. Um, and I would say the the other low was like when I was 18 and moved away from home. Um, mm. And I was just in a place of feeling unworthy and like I had no value, um, really, really lost. Um, and I was desperate for anything to make me feel any sense of love and belonging. Um, and I was trying all kinds of things that I had never tried before. Uh, you know, like what? Like going and getting, because you know, I was living in Portland, right? So like the the plethora of like all these different avenues to healing or spirituality or just li- the way you want to live your life is like mm. abundant here. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. If you want to go somewhere where you have a lot of examples of different ways to live. Like Portland is one of those places you can go um, and meet a lot of different people who are living, I think outside of that box that I grew up in, which is like, you know, the American dream of the white picket fence and the like bigger is better. Like you always striving for more, 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 you get married, you have kids, obviously in a, in a heterosexual relationship only, of course, Oh, and, <laughs> um, and then you get the car and you get the house and then, you know, then you have to have the better car and the better house. Um, you know, like that was the, the box that I grew up in. Um, and so there was, um, a plethora of, of things here. And, and obviously I had made friends with all different kinds of people who believed all different kinds of things. And, Um, so I went and got my like tarot cards, you know, like done or whatever. Yeah. And that was something, you know, prior to, you know, even, I would say even an undergraduate, like I didn't know what that meant, you know, like somebody said the word tarot card, I'd be like, what? I don't, 
I don't know what that means. <laughs> so it was kind of a big deal for me to be like, okay, yeah. I'm just going to go like, go do this thing that like this voice in my head of like my parents is saying like, well, like those are just like weird psychic people that like just lie to you for money. And you're um, like, I am in pain and yes. I will do anything, <laughs> anything, anything that can give me some semblance of knowing. Cause my, my thing at the time was, I just didn't know what to do, uh, which felt very uncomfortable for me because I am a person who likes to know things. Um, yeah. and, <laughs> uh, and because when I know things, then I can take action to like make things happen. Right. Uh, and that is how I build my life. So I was unsure whether I should stay at my job at Adidas or whether I should leave and quit. And so I went and had my tarot cards read and, um, and that was a whole incredible experience. Uh, and so also at this time I started doing online yoga, um, you know, before, but like now online yoga is like pre pre pandemic <laughs> online yoga. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and the thing that was really great was that it was very accessible. Um, it also had the the spiritual side, but in a very um, in a very relatable way. Uh, so it it was just felt like a low barrier of entry for me mm. at a time when I felt like I just really wasn't good enough. Um, certainly to like really show up in a yoga class. Um, it was just a lot easier for me to like do it in the safety of like my home. Uh, I totally went through a phase like that. Yeah. After I had Ursa, I had, I was a lot was going on in my life. Um, was in a really like abusive relationship with Ursa's dad, who was a Mm -hmm. huge alcoholic at that time. And I think that, or I don't know what his deal is right now, but at that time, it was definitely like so painful just to be alive. And so the walking into a yoga studio would have been like so vulnerable. And so I did this one Baron Baptiste video <laughs> over mm-hmm. and over and over again. And it became this strange lifeline, mm-hmm. um, which I remember that side plank being so hard. You know what I mean? Like, oh. It is, you know, (laughs) (laughs) but at that time it was this, like, it was like, I was finding a home practice in this funny way. And this funny sideways way that came from not being feeling worth anything, you know, which is interesting. So it's interesting to hear you say that same thing. Yeah. And it's also where I taught myself how to meditate. You know, I downloaded, um, headspace. And yeah. it's just like, okay, <laughs> I'm going to learn how to meditate. You know, like I did, I had no idea what, you know, um, yeah. Anything that was just like a low barrier of entry that could make me feel just a little bit better than I was feeling on a daily basis. Yeah. Um, I would try, you know? And so I ended up for the final two years of my, my job at Adidas, I was meditating every single day before I left for work. Um, for at least like 10 to 15 minutes. Yeah. Um, and then, well, obviously I got to a place where I like kind of like graduated out of headspace. I'd literally done everything, like pretty much all of their meditations on like stress and anxiety and like gone through all of their courses. Um, yeah. So 
then um, I was also in that space of, okay, well, like, I would love to learn more about yoga and this thing that I've been practicing and, um, and meditation. And also I was grasping for really anything to make me feel like I had another option because, Uh you know, the thing that, uh, our society and the corporate world can do to us is make us think that we have to stay trapped in these jobs because it is your only means of survival is to work in the corporate world and to sit in this office as a cog in the machine and just suck it up and, you know, work until you're, you know, 72 and then retire and then you live your life. Right. No strong feelings. No strong feelings. No, no, (laughs) not at all. Yeah. So, um, I, and, but I was believing that, right? Like I, I was very much, um, had become susceptible, uh, susceptible, wow, words, um, to that line of thinking that like my worthiness, uh, was in my job, in my career, my worthiness to this world, my value to this world was that like, I have a career, you know, like in the apparel industry and like, this is what I do. Um, but I was feeling so trapped. And I also at the same time was like, no, this corporate world is not working for me. It's not working for anyone. Like everyone around me is miserable. And like, at the same time, I was also leading the uh, cringe women's network at Adidas. Um, And I say cringe because I don't like calling it the women's network. (laughs) I feel like it really devalues. Um, But we, we, uh, we did rename it, but, um, anyway, so it's like, there's a, there's a lot of kind of like irony there is I was, I was realizing the problems in the corporate world and also being the rebel that I am trying to fight against them. Um, and I really was looking for something else I could be good at. Uh, and so that's what led me to yoga teacher training. And that is what led me to Googling teacher trainings around Portland. Um, and then that is actually what led me to taking my first in-person class. Well, I, w- I, had, I had taken a few classes like at Adidas, but I hadn't been to any um, local studios in a long time. And that was what led me to your class. And that first class in Burnside at the Burnside location. And I was like all the way in the like right for uh, far corner, which okay. was not, it's not where I sit. So you wouldn't recognize me at the time. Um, <laughs> uh-uh. That is not where in the far sit. corner, just like right next to the wall. Um, and I just remember being like blown away of just like, what? Like this is yoga. And like, but it like also kind of feels like therapy and like, what like the people are you know like you know like laughing and like Audra's like you know like cracking jokes and like talking and like people are having a good time but they're also just like and I was just like what and then I was like yeah I this I'm definitely doing a teacher training here um and so yeah (laughs) that is then what what led me there and that was like Oh, that teacher training 
came at a time when I was really desperate for a community to help me heal. And that, yeah, our, our teacher training, um, group certainly, uh, did that. Yeah. What an act of grace. Jeez. And just like the power of saying, yes, that's what I'm thinking of in your story Mm. is like that thing (laughs) inside of you. You know, um, here I'm, you can, I'm going to repeat back, which I like to do sometimes with folks because I start to sort of like make threads and connections as we do as human beings, but I like to check in with folks about it. So you, there's like your childhood where you had this box to push up against. Right. Mm -hmm. And so, and that there's like comfort in that. That's kind of what you knew. There's the box. And then I, Amanda, push up against it. (laughs) And then you, that sort of became recreated in the corporate world where then even though you're an artist and you're in like fashion world and apparel (laughs) design, living your Portland life, there's still this box and something for you to push up against. Right. Mm -hmm. And then your soul is like, maybe pushing up against the box all the time. Isn't necessarily like all there is Amanda, right. For you in this lifetime. And then like the, that, led you to just try all the things because it was too much pain to bear, you know? Um, that's, that's, does that seem accurate? (laughs) Oh, you're frozen. Oh, wait, you're back. Oh, I got it. Yeah. Yeah. I had to reconnect. I had to connect to my phone for a second. Okay. Yeah. So did you hear, did you hear the end of it? No, I missed the very end. You were like just getting there. Okay. So then you created this box, which was like the familiar, almost like, and we do this, right? In our life where we sort of replicate where we came from, where then there's this corporate box where you have something to push up against. And then Amanda's soul is like, Amanda, maybe like pushing against the box isn't all there is for you. You know, maybe Mm -hmm. there's actually more than just that kind of tension in your life. And then- So you said yes to all the things, which is so wise, like still your Mm. inner wisdom is like, you're like tarot cards and I'm going to Google yoga teacher trainings. And, (laughs) you know, like even in the depths of your pain, being able to like try these new things. And then what Mm -hmm. happened? The people are going to want to know, like, (laughs) you know what I mean? Because I know you're not working at Adidas anymore. Like, what did that look like? This transformation. Yeah. And here's, oh my this might be an interesting time also to say, Amanda and I had a conversation last night just to like yeah. back it up for a second, where we were talking about how, and you said this very succinctly, that there is this sort of mythos with yoga teachers and yoga practitioners mm-hmm. where it's like, yoga saved my life. Yeah. And, and Amanda was like, I saved my life. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Which I totally agree with. Yoga (laughs) is a tool. Yoga doesn't save anyone's life. It is a different sort of engagement that saves our lives, quote unquote. We heal ourselves. So say what happened. Yeah. And so just just to follow up on that, um, I I say, you know, like I'll say, but yoga saved, yoga didn't save my life. Like I saved my life. But at the same time, like, 
because the story that I hear all the time is that like most people are saying like, oh, I'm a yoga teacher because yoga saved my life. Um, so I don't say that in the way of like, it, it's a little bit of reclaiming for me, right? And having that agency. Um, but then it's also kind of, it, I feel a bit like an outsider, like, oh, like, am I worthy to be a yoga teacher because yoga didn't save my life and because I think of it differently. Um, so I just want to throw that out there for, for people listening for the context around that. Um, but yeah, so, uh, I did finally make a decision of whether to stay or leave Adidas. Um, and it was through a lot of turmoil, um, and heartache that I finally made the decision, um, to leave. And it was, it, w- it was really difficult for multiple reasons. Um, I loved the, a lot of the people I loved. I made so many good friends there. Uh, there are a lot of really wonderful people still working there, although actually I keep watching people leave <laughs> and pursue their own lives and dreams, which is incredible and beautiful. Um, but I had made such good friends there. You know, Adidas had done a lot for me, not um, it just like showed me a lot. It it was like such a huge part of my identity. And so like, that was a big thing um, to have to give that up. And then there was also just the quitting of like, mm. oh, like I'm a, I'm a quitter. Mm, oh, I don't like that. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> like, uh, not a quitter. I don't, I don't like that. Um, yeah. And so there was also the part of me that was like, well, if I do leave, I want to leave with integrity. Right. And like, how, how do I do that? And what does that look like? And that was really hard because I was like, well, I don't even know who I am anymore. So how can I know what integrity is to me? Um, but it was through, um, a lot of therapy. Um, uh, like I had a therapist at the time. I think I sought out a therapist, um, before I had actually gotten into this position that put me into this, this rough time in my life. Um, and I had just gotten a therapist cause I was like, I feel like I need one. Um, I have trauma in my life. <laughs> Uh, and then slowly, but surely my therapy sessions became talking about this particular job and like what was happening. Um, and then I was doing yoga. So I was doing all of these things, um, to try and, you know, just barely survive, like still working there. Um, and also try to come to a decision. And so I did finally make the decision. And there was also, you know, the corporate world dangling the carrot in front of me of like, we're trying to change. We're trying to change. Um, and for a little bit more context, I feel like I'm kind of talking around it. I was, um, working in a very, uh, toxic masculine environment, um, on the innovation team there, uh, which I'm not afraid to say because (laughs) I have publicly spoken about this many times, including the head of the department and all of the people that I worked with about how toxic the environment was and how um, it needed to change because that I just can't keep my mouth shut on these things. But anyway, um, and I had also entered into uh, an abusive, abusive relationship with another person that I had to work closely with. Um, and so, and that was the first time I had ever been in an abusive relationship. So all of that- Welcome, like, Amanda, welcome. Yeah. 
welcome to the world of abuse. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Here's your welcome, Matt. Yeah. Um, so like all of that was kind of happening at the same time. And I, uh, so there was a lot also for me that was like principle, like I'm not supposed to leave. Like all of these, all of these people creating this trauma, or all of these people that are making it so hard to like work here and who aren't processing their trauma, who aren't going to therapy, like those people should leave. Like they're clearly miserable here. I want to do this job. Like on paper, this is my dream job. Um, and so I finally made the decision to leave and I left. Um, and that was, I think it, they, so they were like dangling the carrot for a long time. And I kept pushing out. I was like, well, like they're saying things will change here and I'll wait and see. And they'll saying they're saying things will change here and I'll wait and see. Um, and then it finally got to a point where I had a new boss and like the person who was my abuser had been fired and, but like things weren't different. Um, mm. and I was like, oh, okay. Yeah. And so that's what led me to quit was coming to that realization of like, no, like I need to remove myself from the situation. Like I've incurred a lot of trauma and I, you, you can't heal in the situation the yeah. of the trauma, right? You have to, there has to be like a severing of those ties in order oh for my God. you it to is heal. So that realization is one of the most painful realizations, mm -hmm. I think. You're exactly yeah. right. It's, yeah. it's, it's correct. Yeah. Yeah. And so I knew at that point that I, that I needed to leave. And, and yeah. I did, and I, I tried to do it with the best of integrity that I could. Um, and yeah. And that was all like, while I was doing my teacher training too, I think yeah. I ended up quitting in, yeah, we had our teacher training up until, you know, we were like teaching our practicums through like, like January, February. Um, and I quit at the end of April. And so I was like, yep. Yeah. And, and those were the most blissful, like two <laughs> weeks of my life. I have never felt so happy and so much joy. It was great. Yeah. Needless to say, it was a great decision. Don't worry. Um, <laughs> did you feel, I mean, I, my circumstances are similar, but different. I created essentially like that same something to push up against that box. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. But it was in the form of like, Oh, there, there was an abusive relationship in my childhood. So then there's an abusive relationship yep. in my marriage. There's a abusive relationship in my business partnership. And I just kept creating that box. And then I feel now being like out of those that oh, sometimes I'm like, well, what is there to push up against if there's not like this abusive relationship box that I'm used to being into in, you know what I mean? And so it's cr cultivated this sense of loss for me in this funny way. And I wonder, oh. have you ever felt that? Uh, uh, you're blowing my mind right now, Audra, because I feel like you just named why I feel so lost right now because. Oh my God. Are we going to cry? Being, I'm like, <laughs> being <laughs> the rebel is like so much a part of my identity. And like, I've always 
kind of, you know, like work labeled me as like a change maker and literally put me on a team at Adidas called change makers. But anyway, <laughs> like I am that person who like, like makes things uncomfortable because I'm like, no, this is wrong. There is a better way. Like it doesn't have to be done this way. There's one thing I hate hearing. It is, well, this is the way it's always been done. And I'm like, what? No. Um, and so, yeah, being now in this space where like, I <laughs> don't, well, also coming out of quarantine and being like solitude and really tapping into that, um, that introvert, <laughs> introvert side of me, I'm, I'm an extroverted introvert is what I like to say. Um, most people would not tag me as an introvert, but I think I'm, I think I fluctuate between them. So, mm-hmm. you know, I think that had a, had a factor as well, um, of like, but I, it does, it feels uncomfortable and I feel lost like currently. And I feel, you know, this is, I was talking to you about this, you know, last night is I just, yeah, lost is a good way to put it. I, I don't know where I belong and like, and part of that, I think, is because I've lost this huge part of my identity is that, like, I'm a boundary pusher or like a not boundary pusher, but I'm um, I continually put myself in these situations to, like, rub up against these edges to, like, change things um, and to be someone who is a change maker. And like, you know, like, I don't have an like, like an audience or a, or a, you know, like a group of people around me. And I'm not like in a system, um, where I can, where I can run up to those edges and then like push them and be like, yes, this is my, this is where I belong in the world. Oh my gosh. I resonate with that. (laughs) Yeah. Well, I mean, it's literally takes one to know one, <laughs> like, yeah. Like, mm, yeah. you know, kind of situation. And right now I'm thinking we do have to close because I have to go teach in a moment, but I'm thinking of two things. One is Pema Chodron who says that when we are in groundlessness, that we should like say thank you because it is the exact right place we're supposed to be. Yes. And so I literally have to think about that every single day and be like, okay, this is groundlessness. I don't have that thing. I'm not in an abusive relationship right now for the first time, maybe in my entire life. And so I don't have that thing to push up against. Right. And so then what does that mean? I've had to shed that part of my identity. Right. So there's like this groundlessness of not knowing who I am without that which is, I think, maybe something that folks don't understand about recovery from abuse is that mm. there is there is this feeling of lostness. And then the second thing is that, um, and you know, I it's funny when I, I kind of, as I started rereading the Bhagavad Gita maybe a year and a half ago, and that first line that Arjuna says where he says, take me to the center of the mess, mm-hmm. right? And this has to be that there's a reason it starts like that. And so there, for me, like I, there's so much faith that has to be, um, 
happening right now just to like get up, you know, <laughs> like without yeah. the, without mm-hmm. the thing to push, push against and, oh, mm-hmm. and it's horrible in this way. <laughs> Yeah. And this way that I didn't anticipate. Um, there, but there's something here. It makes me want to talk again. Like we should mark this yes. date. <laughs> yes. And then talk again Part and two. like it. Yeah. And then talk again in a year and just see what happens. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And just because see I, what happens. The thing I'm also realizing is I'm like, oh, I'm like trying to create boxes in my life to push up against right now. Yeah, baby. That's that what was you just like made me realize. The thing that we <sighs> spoke about last night, like what's the difference between, what was your question? The difference between discipline and. And like giving yourself grace. And giving yourself and being, grace. Yeah. Being gentle. Like to me, they, it feels like they're opposites. Discipline, mm-hmm. being gentle and like giving yourself grace. They feel like two ends of a spectrum. Mm-hmm. You're um, either disciplined or you're giving yourself grace. Yeah. Yeah. And that's binary thinking, which is like the, I'm drawing uh-huh. the first edges of the box right there. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Oh my gosh. I want to talk forever. Yeah. Um, this was, everyone should go to Amanda's class, both online and in person. I know you're going to do a big you're not biking, but your husband yes. is. Tell us briefly yes. what you're doing and when you'll be back to free love. Yes. So um, my husband and two friends are biking across the country. They're cycling 3,100 miles from Anacortes, Washington, all the way to um, Annapolis, Maryland. We leave in just three weeks. Crazy. Um, and I, so my husband and I bought an RV, uh, kind of a big deal. And I am driving that RV as the support vehicle across the country for them. Uh, So it will be approximately five weeks. Um, They're going to attempt to do it in 35 days. We've got, I think, five or six rest days in there for them. And yeah, and then my husband, Christian, and I are going to kind of like slow journey the RV back to Portland. So we will be back to Portland probably like the end of September, mid to the end of September. And we leave end of July. Oh, Amanda, I cannot wait for you to go. And I can't wait for you to get back into here. And I can't wait for part two, where we see what happens without that thing to Mm. push against. I'm so excited. Who knows? I feel a lot of hope (laughs) though. I feel a lot of hope today. I do. (laughs) I do finally feel hope. This is, yeah, no, it was a, that's a, that's a big kind of realization. So I will be ruminating on that. For a while. <laughs> I love you so much. Thank you for uh, being a part of my life. I just appreciate our the reciprocity of our relationship. It's a big deal to me. Oh wow. Thank you so much. I love you mm-hmm. too. It's, okay. Uh, yeah. Bye. Mwah. Bye. <laughs>